Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. There's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. friends, and welcome to the Seeker Podcast at Service of Change, where we challenge reality, question that which we've been taught in hopes of inspiring a new direction of thought to bring about change. I'm your host, Dennis Nappy II. This is our 101st episode of the Seeker Podcast. Really proud to celebrate episode 100 last week. Those of you who have connected with me through social media, I did uh, just a short little one-minute interview slash testimony talking about my feelings and, and thoughts on that. And, and to everybody that's reached out to me and congratulated me on, on the uh, 100th episode, Thank you so very much. It uh, it really inspires me and, and motivates me to, to keep going and wanting to do it because when I when I hear from you out there, uh, from my listeners and from my readers, and, and you tell me about the ways that the show connects with you or you connect with the show, that's exactly why I do it. And it makes me feel, uh, humbled's not the right word, just proud and happy and good inside to, to hear your, your feedback. And I'm glad you appreciate the show. It, it means the world to me to know that you find value in it because I find value in, in the dialogue that we have and the suggestions that you give me and the ideas and the topics, suggestions that come my way. Uh, so it, it's just been a wonderful experience for me. So uh, thank you so very much. And as, as I was saying in the, you know, the little video I did, one of my goals has always been to make discussions about the paranormal and the supernatural natural and normal. Uh, these things happen. There are strange things going on in this world. And uh, I think we need to not just be aware of it, but it needs to be commonplace. And we need to better understand it. Talk about it. Why was this dream weird? Why did this dream come true? Why did your intuition lead you in the right direction? There's something to it, but we have a habit of just dismissing it. Let's understand it. Let's embrace it. Let's strengthen it. I've talked before about intuition. Mine's gotten stronger because I've been working at it and, and paying attention to it, and I think that's possible for everybody. And I also like the idea of trying to bring solutions. You know, I think the movement of waking people up has come and gone, and there's a lot of shows and a lot of uh, groups out there who are still holding on to that, the shock and awe factor, but I really try hard not to shock my audience, because I don't want to turn somebody off who could potentially benefit from this information. I, I don't want to, I'm not mad when I, you know, when, when you first start this journey, you're sometimes angry because you're going, oh my gosh, I've been lied to. Oh my gosh, things aren't what they seem. Wow, there's some really bad things going on in this world. I get it. I don't want to play to that. At times I do. At times I get caught up in it. I'm an emotional being just like everybody else. But I want to present things in a way 
that it's not going to scare people to click on that link or to share that information because what I care about is that information gets out. I don't care about saying, hey, I told you so, you're an idiot, you're wrong. I don't feel that way about people. I've gone down some roads where later I've been like, man, that was the wrong course of action for me to take, but I, I learned something from it, I grew from it. Anyway, I digress as I always do, but I, I think it's important in, uh, you know, in the approach that we choose to take in this. And we need to move beyond just, quote, waking people up, which again, I've said it before. To me, that's the new, you know, you're born again, you're saved. I think it's a condescending term to people who aren't of the same mindset or following the same path of of gnosis or knowledge uh, as you are as far as waking them up. So I try to stay away from that. I just try to share things that I find, give my analysis of it, and if if I can find solutions or suggestions, I like to offer that as well because I think we need to really, we're at a point now, we need to start thinking about solutions. Part of the show, it's the 4th of July holiday weekend here in the States for my for my American listeners, and uh, part of this show, I want to talk about what that means, when they, a little bit of the history about that, and how it relates to today. I think it's, it's pretty obvious, and, and the value of freedom. And, and what that means to actually be free in, in more ways than one. Um, we, we say we want it, but I don't know what we do if we actually had total and complete freedom from all these challenges that we're trying to fight against. So I want to talk a little bit about that uh, you know, towards the end of the show. And obviously pay tribute to this, uh, this great holiday here in the States and uh, getting to the news a little bit, there's some space stuff out there. I love tracking the space stuff that I think is is pretty interesting. I have some really neat news stories that I want to talk about. Uh, let me run down my list real quick. I took a bunch of notes here. Let me make sure there's nothing else I want to cover in the introduction here to the show. No, nothing's jumping out at me looking at my page of notes here. So this one comes to us from Unknown Country. I love pulling stuff from their site. And it was, uh, it was dated today, Friday, June 30th, 2017, was Gobekli Tepe home to the Neolithic skull cult. Now this Gobekli Tepe stuff is fascinating. It's this archaeological discovery. Uh, where is it? I think it's near Turkey. It doesn't say it in this article. I should know this, but I don't remember right now off the top of my head. Most of us are probably familiar with it. If not, start reading it, and it's fascinating what they're finding. Uh, I covered in another show a, a mainstream article now they are accepting um, what, what Graham Hancock proposed in his book. Uh, I don't want to steal all, all Graham's thunder, but the the hieroglyphics and the artwork and the arrangement of things in there correlate to celestial alignments. And basically what he found out was that based on the depictions of celestial alignments, they're only aligned once every X amount of thousands of years. He was able to date this uh structure, Gobekli Tepe, this one particular pillar in there that was referring to a date that's about 12,000 years ago. And now that's starting to gain actual mainstream attention. It's not just this crazy ancient alien stuff that everybody now downplays, which I think is a good starting point in a lot of ways. So history is continually modern, advanced stuff like these types of buildings is getting older in a mainstream sense. I don't think it's going back far enough yet. I don't think the story has come out yet. It's getting older, and, and it's fascinating that this this technologically advanced, when I say that, it's just big stone pillars and all these other complicated things that are in there. It, was, it seems like it was intentionally buried, and nobody knows why. Some 
speculate that maybe it was buried for the very purpose of preserving that knowledge base. Now, I'm going to go on a tangent here. Maybe history repeats itself. Maybe there was some kind of invasion. Maybe, I mean, it seems to me that knowledge, at least in our modern history, knowledge of our past has been eliminated. There's been a systematic effort to destroy and wipe out our knowledge. I'm, I'm completely speculating here, but maybe this structure was, or this city was buried to, so 12,000 years later, Somebody would find it and say, there is more to us. Maybe we lost. I don't know. Let's go on the alien tangent for a minute. Right now, because it's fun, it's creative. Again, I'm not saying that aliens invaded the planet, but the movie Dark Skies, with the one uh, the investigator said at one point, he says, the invasion already happened, and we lost. It happened thousands of years ago. Think about that for a minute. What if something like that did happen? That might make sense in this crazy, chaotic, sadistic world that we tend to live in. Maybe the bad stuff already happened and we're just surviving in the aftermath. As they say in the Matrix, we're now in a prison for our minds. Whether that's a metaphor, whether that's a real thing, what if we are in some kind of prison system but we're unaware to the extent that that prison system goes? If you study my energy stuff that I've talked about through the work of Robert Monroe and many others, talking about the loosh and the negative energy output that we had, this would be a great system to do that. And things like, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but modern religions a lot of times trap the mind and, and cause us to look away from that, as I was talking about in the beginning of the show, the true power that we have. And maybe by preserving this structure, we will start to remember our ancient past and start to study it even more and realize, hey, Number one, something happened here. Number two, there's more to us. Maybe that was the long game of our ancestors or whoever built this. And again, I'm just going on a tangent, but I think it's interesting stuff, an interesting line of thought to go through. But this article, let me get back to this article. Uh, Gobekli Tepe, they have uncovered remains of human skulls that have had long grooves deliberately carved into them. The carved skull fragments belonging to three different individuals are amongst the remains of hundreds of other skull remains found amongst the site's ancient T-shaped limestone monoliths, prompting the researchers to believe that Gobekli Tepe may have been home to one of the world's first skull cults. This is a new one for me. I, I, I've never come across skull cults before. Um, you know, that's just my ignorance. I want to look this up and see what the heck that's all about. The grooves on the skull fragments, along with a small hole bored into one of the pieces, were found to have been deliberately carved using stone tools and not caused by the claws of animals. The grooves are between 0.2 and 4 millimeters deep and were made shortly after the individual's death, as there are no additional bone growth to indicate the individuals had healed after the grooves were cut and the marks were made while the bone was still fresh and elastic before it had a chance to decay. All, although no evidence of human burial has been found at Gobekli Tepe, the research team believes the grooves in question were used to hold cords in place that would attach the skulls to the top of a pole or possibly suspend from a cord that was attached through the borehole in one skull exhibiting that feature. The research team was unable to properly determine the age of the skull fragments, but Gobekli Tepe itself has been deliberately dated to have been in use between 11,500 and 9,000 years ago. Okay, 11,500 and 9,000 years ago. That's just when it was in use. Who knows when it was built? That's when they think it was in use last in that, in that time frame. 
I don't know, it just freaks me out to hear about some kind of skull cult. I can't see this being anything good. Maybe that's just my cultural ignorance, not understanding the time and the culture that was there. But I get all these ominous feelings of death. Who or what had human skulls hanging? I, I know that if I walked into a place that was not an amusement park or haunted hayride type of arena and I saw skulls everywhere... I'd probably want to get out of there pretty quickly. Especially if they're then preparing these skulls shortly after death. Really makes you wonder what happened back then. That's when we need to use tools like remote viewing, I think, to go back and take a look. All right, next article. This one, more modern day. Uh, it's scary. I've been tracking this off and on as well. Some of the social media battles we're dealing with this comes to us from the New York Times.com. Delete hate speech or pay up, Germany tells social media companies. Social media companies operating in Germany face fines as much as $57 million if they do not delete illegal, racist, or slanderous comments and posts within 24 hours under a law passed on Friday. Again, this is coming out of Berlin. The law reinforces enforces Germany's position as one of the most aggressive countries in the Western world at forcing companies like Facebook, Google, and Twitter to crack down on hate speech and other extremist messaging on their digital platforms. I'll have the links to this in the show notes at serviceofchange.com and in my newsletter. Um, in the secret newsletter this week. This is a tough question. It's a tough dilemma because if you're if you're in charge, if you're the government and you, you're charged with keeping the peace and protecting the people and you see this virus that spreads, this information that spreads that is toxic to people, do you intervene? Or are you violating free speech? Because we know that hate speech is going to offend people and it's going to cause problems and it's going to stir the pot and it, it, it can potentially cause all sorts of horrible things to happen. But at the same time, by sitting there and saying you're going to be fined for in a public platform expressing how you feel or how you think, well, I think we're putting limits on freedom of speech. Maybe we don't need the government, however, this is my opinion, to step in and say, hey, we're going to fine you if, you if you say you know bad things, because I think that's a very dangerous road to go down. Maybe we just need to be accepting of other people's freedom of speech and opinion. If somebody wants to spread hateful things, that's their prerogative. You don't have to friend them. You don't have to look at it. You don't have to read it. But then let's go on the other extreme of that. Well, what if that propaganda is used to then target people to, number one, either recruit them into an organization that's hateful, that may go on to do violent, horrible things, or number two, just inspire people to go out and do violent, horrible, terrible things? I don't know what the answer is, thinking inside the box. But I'm going to go on a tangent here. I think I have a bunch of tangents tonight, so uh, hang on to your hats, people. I, I, I'm, I'm still furiously editing. Furiously, is that the right word? Feverishly, intensely editing Food for the Archons. I'm in the last section now, and I'm, I'm rearranging things and reorganizing things. Now, I did a show early on. One of my earlier shows was about the Maharishi effect. I'm pulling, I'm tying it into my book. And I've, I've come across... Multiple peer-reviewed journals and scientific studies that show that a small number of people practicing transcendental meditation can impact levels of violence in a targeted area. And they said that what's required is 1% of a population. They were looking at different cities over a span of a couple of years. And they found that once a city reaches 1% of people practicing in that area, then 
<clears throat> crime rates go down. More meditators that increase, the lower the crime rates go because they're spreading peace. Now, it may sound a little bit crazy if you don't understand the mechanism how this works. And again, this is the bulk of my book. I'm not trying to give a self-plug. I'm just trying to establish some, some credibility here. And I've been studying this stuff pretty intensely lately for the past couple years. It's the electromagnetic field that comes out of the heart. It's basically a transmitter of emotional data. That emotional data is surrounding us all over the place. And we're constantly walking through it. And our own electromagnetic fields are interacting with it. They're absorbing that data. And then they're transmitting it into our own internal processing systems. Did I go really fast? Basically, it's a Wi-Fi that's coming out of our hearts that has the ability to not only impact our own moods and emotions and thoughts, but to influence the moods, emotions, and thoughts of other people. This is done and demonstrated by the research coming out of the HeartMath Institute among others, because I've done a show on the patented technology that was coming out, at least what I found in the, in the early or mid to late 90s and beyond, and this technology is using electromagnetic fields to influence these fields in the human bodies by something as simple as flashing lights on a TV program that you're not aware of that then can alter your mood. So, with all that complicated stuff going on, why am I talking about this? What does this have to do with freedom of speech? We're looking in the wrong spot, and again, the show, I'm t I want to talk about freedom on the show. You want some freedom. You're relying on a government to step in and stop everybody from fighting. Or you're going to fight the government for putting restrictions on your free speech. This is a no-win situation. But if we can change our mindset and we can spread the message that, hey, Look at the peer-reviewed science behind this. This stuff works. And we can simply start meditating to spread peace. I should have done a whole show on this. Meditating to spread peace. We can legitimately minimize the desire for the hate speech to go out there. The conflict that comes from that. It's a different way to approach it. You don't have to get violent. I know I was at Thailand, was at Tibet. I got to look this up. There's been an article floating around. Their military, some of their, a large number of their warriors, their job is to meditate on peace and bring peace about the world. Imagine, 1% is all that, that's needed. If every country, forget every country, if every, in the United States alone, if every single township employed a team of trans, of, I don't even know if, if we can go beyond transcendental meditation. I have never, I've never practiced it. I have researched it. But if they employed a team of meditators and their job was to keep the peace and to meditate and focus and, and keep that energetic balance, that ebb and flow where it needs to go. In addition to that, imagine if we added that to the schoolhouse and children were practicing this every single day, the mindfulness, the meditation, the peace. Imagine what that would do. We won't have to worry about this crap that we're seeing on social media and Germany finding you. That's creating more negative energy, energy, more tension. And when you read this, you get mad about it and you say, oh, how dare they? They're hindering freedom or well, I have the right to say these horrible, hateful things. At the end of the day, what are you doing? You're contributing to that negative energy flow. So instead of getting upset about this, again, even if you're not a transcendentalist, put out the positivity. And this is not the new age, just send love and light. I'm talking about there's science behind this stuff. It's your intention. It's your belief. It, it's, it's, you know, your emotional output. It's a lot different than just thinking positively. It's a lot different in some ways than prayer. Sometimes prayer works. Sometimes it doesn't. Why? What I suspect is because when you pray and you're praying for something to be better because you're so upset that it's not better, you're putting out there that things are bad. But when you pray with the confidence that this works, 
Well, now you're speaking the proper programming language of the universe. And that's how you're making that connection. And that's how you're making your prayers work. I believe that's the difference. It's our intent. It's our focus. I've gone on such a tangent on this, but I think this is important. I really wish I would have done a whole show on this. But, uh, you know, more shows to come on this, definitely. And uh, (laughs) I've definitely been writing about it. uh, And I will continue in this book. I'm really excited to get this book done. So, side note, tangent over. Let's move on to another article. This one comes to us from Bloomberg.com. Trump revives 1960s era space council. Privatization is going to play an important role, Trump says, in uh, an entity first formed to take on the Soviet Union in race to the moon. President Donald Trump signed an executive order on Friday to reestablish the National Space Council, reviving an entity that was formed during the 1960s race between the U.S. and the Soviet Union to reach the moon first. It really seems to me, with Trump's campaign, with the rhetoric that he's putting out there, he is trying to get us back to like that 1960s America strong, where the world power, I, I you know, big builders in industry, and, and he's trying to get us there. That's what it seems like to me. I feel like he's looking at that playbook, and that's why he's doing the space thing. He's trying to boost morale and and, and make these great discoveries and empower us. And I'm not saying that stuff's bad. I just think that's where he's coming from. I think that's what he's doing because he he wants to make America great again. So I'm assuming that in his opinion, the ideas that he's coming off of was when he believes America was great. Again, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not going to go on a Trump bashing thing here. You know I'm not a fan of the guy. But this, this I think, can ben- potentially benefit us all, this space race, depending on what they do with it. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit more. The council, to be led by Vice President Mike Pence, will be a forum to shape the Trump administration's approach to space as private sector companies, including Elon Musk, SpaceX, and Jeff Bezos' Blue Origin, emerge as significant players. Space exploration is not only essential to our character as a nation, but our economy and our great nation's security, Trump said Friday at a White House signing ceremony, adding, I think privatization of certain aspects is going to play an important role. Okay, Warning sign right there. Did you catch what I said? Let me read it again. Space exploration is not only essential to our character as a nation, but to our economy and to our great nation's security. Which one of those buzzwords here should should raise some flags based on other things we've talked about? Ding, ding, ding. Our great nation's security. Weaponization of space has been a hot button. It's been things that we've been talking about right there. That's probably another motivation behind Trump's decision to do this to weaponize, uh, to, to get us into this space race, and to privatize things. So is this a good thing if we're weaponizing space? Well, again, we're going to play on the fear factor there, saying, well, other people want to weaponize satellites because they can target our satellites, which can then hack into our communication systems. They can shut us down. They can use EMPs to completely send a, dark, a blackout on us and a whole slew of other things. You want to go off the deep end in the extreme conspiracy world, we can say, well, they're weaponizing it. Maybe they're going to use it to target any ETs that may be coming in or out of the area. That was the WikiLeaks stuff with Edgar Mitchell, who was adamantly against, uh, as Mitchell to Podesta, against the weaponization of space. He was claiming to be in contact with ETs who were saying, do not weaponize space because they want to come in and be our space brothers and all that fun stuff. So just one little buzzword here, but I'm not saying Trump's talking aliens here, but he, I th- he is talking weaponization of space there. 
This stuff is real. This is all mainstream stuff that I'm quoting anyway. I know I sound like a crackpot sometimes, but for those of you who are listening, you've taken this journey with me. You know exactly where I'm coming from. I'll have the rest of this article linked up uh, in the show notes at servicechange.com and also in the newsletter. I started adding the links to the newsletter for my subscribers out there. Um, I, you know, my, my goal is I just like to see who's reading and you know get that feedback. Is my newsletter a, a quality product? Is it, is it something that's beneficial to people? And uh, I wanted to drive people to the actual website itself to read the full article. So I used to put a little bit of the article, you know, the show notes there, and then they'd have to click on it to go to the page, and then they'd find the links and stuff. But I found that by putting the links to these sources that I'm quoting within my newsletter, I'm getting more engagement from my listeners and from my readers. And I've responded, so I'm continuing to put them in there. So if you're subscribed to the Secret Newsletter uh, through serviceofchange.com, Everything that I talk about, it's going to be right there. Usually Sunday mornings is when that comes out, and you'll have those links that you can go and say, you know, is, is Dennis making stuff up, or where is he getting this from? You can go look at the source yourself right there in your inbox. So uh, I highly inv- I invite you to do that. I highly encourage you to do so. All right, some more interesting space stuff. This one's from the Washington Post. A mysterious Mars-sized planet may be hiding at the edge of our solar system. A mysterious celestial body may be lurking in the frozen, far-flung reaches of our solar system, scientists say. This is not the proposed Planet 9. I did a show with Ray Davis on that uh, months ago. Um, a, a ginormous body that Caltech scientists believe could be tugging at the orbits of the solar system's most distant inhabitants. And it's not Pluto. Sorry, Pluto, you still don't count. I'm quoting this article here. Instead, University of Arizona astronomers Kat Volk and Renu Mahorta say it's a Mars-sized body in the Kuiper Belt, a swarm of small icy objects that extends beyond the orbit of Pluto. If both the Arizona and Caltech researchers are right, then these proposed bodies could bring the total number of planets in our solar system to 10. A little bit more information on this. I want to just speculate just for the fun of it. We still haven't found Planet X, Planet Nibiru. You know, we have discovered so much about space, yet we know so little. Um, who knows what's out there? Who knows? Could this be that brown dwarf that they're talking about? Maybe that's too small for a brown dwarf. But could this inhabit life? What if this icy planet once housed life? What if this was once a binary system that some people have talked about? Who knows? It's exciting for me to to hear this and think about it. This. What if it's warm at the core? What if it has volcanic activity on the inside of the planet uh, and there's somehow life on there? We just don't know. But I think the case for Planet X or the possibility of its existence out there is getting better by the day with these new things that we're discovering. Uh, you know, I say we, but that our scientists are discovering. Quite interesting. All right, a little bit more space stuff. Uh, a ridiculous YouTube, I'm quoting here, the Washington Post, and obviously you can get the opinion of where they're coming from just by the headline. A ridiculous YouTube video claimed we found aliens kept making the news, so NASA debunked it. I'm not going to go through the whole thing here. Uh, most of us have seen this already, but uh, one of the hacktivist members from Anonymous went on and, and claimed that uh, you know NASA was on the verge of releasing information about extraterrestrial life in the solar system. Now, I'm going to say I have made the same claim that I think they're on the verge of doing that, not because I hacked into their accounts, but because I'm putting the pieces together of the things that they're starting to discover and the things that I suspect they might know already. Um, but whether they know it or not, it's only a matter of time before they find that smoking gun that, hey, there's life. And I, I 
think that the first announcement is not going to be, hey, there's intelligent life. They look like aliens with big eyes and they're flying around and visiting us and abducting people. I don't think we're going to get an announcement like that coming from NASA. I think we're going to get from NASA is we found bacteria. We found microbial life. Um, you know, we found single-celled organisms in some kind of ocean. Uh, I think that's where it's going to start um, for a whole variety of reasons. Although it is interesting, some of the other discoveries that have that have come out lately, but I think that's the most practical with what's going to happen first because that's a gradual way to introduce this thing to the people. It won't be this shock and awe, uh, you know, system. Maybe not. Maybe we'll have spacecraft landing on the White House lawn. I don't see that happening. But if I'm wrong, I'll be excited to see that. All right, and I'm going to have two link, two articles on this. One coming from the Independent, which is on the other side of it, uh, but they're both basically saying he didn't present any real information uh, that wasn't public knowledge already. So I don't. That, that that's my problem. You, you get these fantastic headlines out there, but you don't put you don't put any real evidence into it. It's clickbait. I hope that's not what I'm doing here. I know that it's not, but. You need to really be mindful of that. And again, us as the consumers, are you sharing it? If you're sharing it, are you giving a caveat? Are you reviewing it first? I do share things sometimes because I want to get to it later. So I just throw it up on my uh, my Daily Gnosis page on Facebook. Um, but then usually I'll, I'll somehow go back and readdress it or whatever once I have a chance to read it if it's, uh, if it's a load of junk. We need to be responsible about this here. All right, I want to talk. Let's see here. There's one more. It's not. It's okay. It's kind of an article here. I'll have an art, one article to it. I found this. It was on Facebook through uh, Oath Keepers. Uh, they they had a video, and it's the Antifa. Antifa. I don't even know how to say it. I, I I haven't. I'm aware that they're out there. I haven't paid too much attention to the stuff in the news about them lately. But this one caught my attention. This is what I'm going to say. Antifa or Antifa. I can't even say it. If I'm saying it wrong. Please send me an email and correct me. Uh, this is what anti-fag group is doing now to combat, in, quote, increasingly violent Trump America. That's the title of this from TheBlaze.com, dated June 27th. Chicago group named, named Haymaker recently crowdfunded a startup for self-defense training gym, and this week the group got their gym on its feet, sort of. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase here. They were did a crowdfunding fundraiser looking for $50,000. <laughs> the way the article words it is, it says, but ultimately fell about $44,000 short. They made six grand trying to get this done. Now, I, I watched the video here, and it looks like a satirical video, but it's it's uh, a group of young men. I, I, I hate to give labels, but I guess hipsters? I don't know. Probably in their tw early 20s talking about taking self-defense because they want to be able to defend themselves in Trump's new America. I'm all for self-defense. You know that. You know I think it's a very important aspect of, um, of life, especially living in the world we live in today. I'm all for it. But in the background, you have some of these young men, quote, training for their self-defense, and it's they've never thrown a punch in their lives. Oh, my gosh. They have a lot of work to do. Um, so 
in the law enforcement circles that I follow online, there's there's some laughter at this group. But I took the approach of, hey, number one, to each his own. If they want, if they feel they need a better train to defend themselves, I think that everybody should be able to do that, uh, free from ridicule. But number two, let's remember here. Let's not discount what they're doing here. Again, I don't know much about their movement. It's a fairly new venture for me. I have to look into them a little bit more to see exactly who they are and what they're doing. I know they they claim to be against fascism and against racism, which is all great stuff. My point being, right now they're the underdogs and people really aren't taking them seriously. They're being labeled as whiny crybabies who can't fight. But there was a time a little over 200 years ago when people were labeled as, these colonists were labeled as whiny, weak crybabies. I don't think they used the term crybabies back then. Who didn't stand a chance against their government. And what happened? The United States signed a Declaration of Independence and they won their freedom from England. So use caution in not taking their motivation, their determination. They're now taking actionable steps to improve their situational and tactical preparedness. That should be a concern in the early stages right now. Again, not saying it's a terrorist group. I'm not saying they're going to come out and hurt you. Right now it doesn't seem to be their objective. But it's something you should keep your eye on because... Let's say they do become a little bit more proficient. I, I just don't want conflict in this country. We have enough of it as it is. So if they're now going to have some kind of tactical training, how are they going to be using that? How is that going to impact the rest of society? And then what lawmaker is going to step in and say, hey, no more self-defense training because you know, you're know you going to be training to be a terrorist or an Antifa. I don't know where it's going to go. Another reason why it doesn't have the same... Emotional violent payoff that some of us might be looking for, but we need to take a strong, hard look at the studies coming out of the Maharishi effect and the, and the transcendental meditation, because then we won't have a need for this self-defense stuff. I'm not saying don't learn how to fight. Definitely learn how to defend yourself. But if you can learn that system in a way where you're putting out the positive energy that we need, well, then you just learned a neat self-defense system and you're enlightened and you never have to use it. That's my hope. So don't discount them. And again, let's let's think about what independence means here for us. I, I want to start off, I, I know I've quoted part of this poem before. Charles M. Province, he's an army vet. Uh, this poem is normally credited to Father Dennis Edward O'Brien, but it's a misquote. Charles M. Province is actually the man who wrote this poem. It's called, It is the Soldier. I read this right out of boot camp and it stuck with me for a very long time. It is the soldier, not the minister, who has given us freedom of religion. It is the soldier, not the reporter, who has given us freedom of the press. It is the soldier, not the poet, who has given us freedom of speech. It is the soldier, not the campus organizer, who has given us freedom to protest. It is the soldier, not the lawyer, who has given us the right to a fair trial. It is the soldier, not the politician, who has given us the right to vote. It is the soldier who salutes the flag, who serves beneath the flag, and whose coffin is draped by the flag, who allows the protester 
to burn the flag. So much in there is so powerful. And again, given it's the 4th of July holiday, let's think about what freedom means, what it took to get that freedom, and then how we maintain it. And that last line, it's the soldier who allows the protester to burn the flag. I know this isn't easy for for many of us patriots out there. I find it disrespectful when the American flag is being burned. I'm going to be quite honest, I don't like it. But I remember questioning my service, and I've probably said this before, when I was in the military, when I was deploying, and I knew, hey, there's a chance I might not come home. You know, you're a young kid, you know you're going overseas, you know there's people out there that don't like you in uniform, you might die. So before I left, I had all these thoughts. What does my service mean? Why am I doing this? Why am I going somewhere where I could die? What does it mean? I thought about this poem. Allows the protester to burn the flag. I used to think, ah, let's put people in jail for burning the flag. You disrespect our country, get the hell out of here. But no, that's freedom. That's freedom to express yourself. If you're upset with the country and you burn the flag, I don't like it, but I respect your right to do it. And there was a time when I was willing to give my life defending your right to do it. This ties into, I guess, that same question that we talked about the social media stuff with Germany. It's not easy. I think we should have the freedom to express ourselves the way we wish, as long as we're not causing physical harm, as long as we're not causing any harm to anybody around us. Back in 1775, the American colonists were having serious problems with, uh, with, I guess, their own government, who was the government of England. They had their own local legislatures within the 13 colonies, and they made laws based on the needs of the colonists. They had minimal government, but they had involvement in government because they were used to being involved when they were over in England. The citizens had a say. So here the, the citizens were directly involved with government in the local legislatures. The problem was some of the governors in these colonies were appointed directly by England, and the governors had the interests of England, not the colonists, in mind. The other problem was where the actual laws were made over in England was through Parliament, and we had no American colonist representation over there in Parliament. So you have people who are far away, may have never been to America, they're going to make decisions and laws laws and rules and choices about somewhere they've never been, society and culture that they have no understanding of. So they were making these choices, making these decisions about the American, uh, what was going on in America, and it was counterproductive to the people there, and they're getting frustrated with it. They, they, we, the American colonists, wanted our own representatives there if we were going to make this thing work, because we wanted people who understood what life was like here. The other problem was they were taxing us pretty heavily to fund some of the wars here. The, I think the Spanish-American War. Again, I'm not a history buff. I, I had to teach a history course this year, so I'm, I'm pulling from my high school level history understanding, so forgive me if I misquote something. But they were taxing the American, uh, the American colonies heavily to, to pay for the costs of, of uh, you know, the war. Not only that, they had restrictions on who the colonies could trade with. We were saying, look, we got all this good stuff. We want to go out and just trade with whoever we want and be our own boss, be independent, be free. And England's sitting here saying, no, we got to trade with whoever they tell us to trade with. I'm going to give them their cut and all this stuff. So they had the first Continental Congress back in 1775. And they were basically saying, hey, do we agree that there's a problem here and that England needs to address this? They said, yes, they do. They addressed it with England. England did not change its ways. England actually escalated things. And by 1776, up in, uh, I think, the 
Massachusetts colonies, we were actually already fighting with them. But that's when we decided, okay, we're going to sign our Declaration of Independence. And what did that mean? We are going to declare our freedom from Britain. We are basically going to say, hey, we're ready to go to war with one of the biggest, most powerful militaries in the world right now as 13 colonies. We don't have strong standing military right now, but we're going to stand up, we're going to train people, we're going to recruit people, and that's what they started doing. They started printing posters, flyers, propaganda media, getting it out there, uh, and getting it out to all the colonies. Copies of the Declaration of Independence were sent everywhere. So people could read this. They say it was meant to be performed, the uh, the Declaration of Independence. And, uh, you know what, let me pull it up. Maybe I'll read some of it, because it is pretty powerful, parts of it. So, but they were they were recruiting because they knew that war was coming once this was sent out. So they put it out there saying, hey, we believe we have the right to be free. And they listed all the problems that they had with the King of England. I'm not going to read everything of it, but they, they list the problems they had with what the King of England was doing and, and why they wanted their freedom. So here it is. In Congress, July 4th, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitled them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Basically, their government's not working for them anymore. It's counterproductive to their natural rights. And that's, there's a whole history behind how they came up with what they're entitled to as far as rights. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with a certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Basically, not basically, what this means is that the citizens put the government in place they get their power from the people. The people consent. The people give permission to be governed because the government should protect the people. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it. And the institute a new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. The government's bad. American people have a right to get rid of it, is what they're saying. Prudence, indeed, will dictate the government's long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. They're looking at history, they're saying, for the most part, governments oppress the people. Mankind seems to have this history of suffering. Suffering. Caveat, food for the archons. Why is there so much suffering? Loosh production. Has nothing to do with this right now, though. And accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils, evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forums. I already read that. But when a long train of abuses and, and usurpations pursuing invariably the same objective evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Again, when the government's broken, get rid of it and put in a new one. 
Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and unsurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of the absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. And that's where they go through and they list all the grievances they have with the way the king was handling business in America and why they wanted freedom. They made their argument. And again, part of this was to say, hey, American colonists, we want our freedom. We deserve our freedom. It's our responsibility when a government is bad because we give government the power to take that power away, put a new government in place. And in case you're not convinced that this is necessary, here's all the bad things that the English government has done. That's what this document is about. That's what we celebrate on July 4th because that's when we drew the line in the sand. And we said, no more will you exercise power and control over us to hinder us and to limit what we can do and what we are capable of because we are free. We do not want to be oppressed. We want to enjoy our freedoms. But we found this freedom comes with a cost. Freedom has a very high price. Not only did they have to fight in the Revolutionary War, which cost lots and lots of lives to be lost, but then once you're free... You have to find a way to maintain that freedom while still maintaining order. You have to maintain your sovereignty without infringing on the sovereignty of your neighbor, your fellow countrymen. How do you do it? Well, if we knew exactly how to do it, this world would be uh, you know, a peaceful place all the time. But we can't. And part of that problem, I think, is because we don't fully understand who we are. We've looked at great philosophies in, in putting together this Declaration of Independence. The colonists were looking at the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans and how they did things uh, and true democracies and direct democracies or, or, and representative democracies. But nothing has seemed to work yet. Our government in the United States right now is corrupt. I'm not advocating for violent overthrows. I think change is necessary. But I don't think that using politics to fix politics is the answer. I'm going to stick on my meditation kick. I wonder what would happen if more and more of us put that positivity out there. If we were just able to visualize the world we want. I think a lot of us visualize the battle to, to get to the world we want, but we don't put much focus on that actual end result. If we stop focusing on fighting the power and start focusing on the life we want and start living our lives accordingly... I think we have a better chance of manifesting it that way. I've been trying to live my life that way. I talked, I want to say, two shows ago about manifesting your dreams. Go back and listen to that show. This stuff really works. Uh, I'm not an expert at it, but I am becoming more proficient in manifesting things into my life. I think that there is a great way to go. Maybe we need to take a new approach. Maybe we need to completely restructure our society, but we first have to restructure our own internal thoughts and understandings of who we are. Once we realize our true power, our true history, our true past, we can begin to actualize a brighter future. That's all the time I have. I've definitely gone over, but I think it was well worth it to my, uh, my American listeners. Happy Fourth of July. Happy Independence Day. Please take a moment to reflect on what this means and also take some serious time to reflect on what you want in the future so you can manifest it. Think about it every day. Make it happen. Make it happen without violence. To my international listeners, thank you again for tuning in and joining me. Again, this was episode 101. Looking forward to the next 100. 
I'm Dennis Nappy II. This has been the Secret Podcast, where small changes among the masses can have a massive impact around the world. I encourage you to be that change. Never stop questioning and keep an open mind. Thank you. Seekers.